Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tony Katz. This is Kendall and Casey. They have our Nigel show. All right, well, when does your show start? Do we know? I feel like I've been promoting this for nine years now. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome to the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. Well, were you looking forward to everything falling apart right here on this, uh, what is this, like the Tuesday before Christmas and the Colorado Supreme Court is throwing everything into the highest of gears? Well, let's dig right into it because, uh, my, my, um, it certainly is something quite special. So the Colorado Supreme Court has ruled uh, that in an appeal from a district court proceeding under the Colorado Election Code, the Supreme Court considers whether former President Donald J. Trump may appear on the Colorado Republican presidential primary ballot in 24. And they, uh, the majority of the court, by which I mean um, a whopping four to three vote, has decided that Trump is disqualified from holding the office of president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution, and then they go on to say uh, that the the ruling is uh, going to come into effect in January 4th. Um, so right now is this appeal period. And any of you out there who believe that this is going to hold any kind of water in any way, shape, or form are kidding yourselves. The first place and the only place this is going to go is to the Supreme Court of the United States, where uh, basically along quote-unquote party lines, uh, originalist lines, this is going to be tossed out. First and foremost, because to... Uh, actually prevent Trump uh, from appearing on the ballot due to insurrection cases, he actually has to uh, be charged with insurrection. The Insurrection Act actually has to be um, upheld by the President of the United States. So unless Biden comes out and smacks Trump with the Insurrection Act, that ain't happening. I'm sorry. Colorado does not have the right to like magically wave a wand and decide who gets to be on a presidential primary ballot for a political party. Um, nowhere in the state constitution of Colorado does it give them that authority. Uh, this is clearly performative, and uh, pretty much everyone understands that at this point. Th- this is the kind of nonsense that you would expect uh, from uh, a liberal court who's basically just trying to make a lot of noise. Realistically, I would say everyone is pretty much aware that this is going to become a big bag of nothing, but it makes for good pre-Christmas entertainment. You know, it, there's a lot of people... Um, kind of throwing a fit about absolutely everywhere you can possibly think of. And I, I don't know. I, I think that at this point, we're just looking at a bunch of silliness. The MSNBCs and CNNs of the world are going to use this as some kind of a justification uh, for uh, why Trump shouldn't be in the White House. They're going to use this to hit Clarence Thomas because obviously the uh, originalist members of the Supreme Court are going to vote against the weirdest misapplication uh, of the U.S. Constitution since uh, Katenji Brown-Jackson opened her mouth last. So that's currently where we are. Like, again, you're just, you're, you're, this is like what, the eighth, ninth year of 2016. 
Um, where like, again, politics is just theater. Um, there's really no substance. This is very banana Republic stuff, but it's the kind of banana Republic stuff that I think everyone's kind of going to look at and just go, eh. I mean, seriously, over the last three or four weeks, the uh, word fascist has been thrown around. Oh, well, just about as much as it's been thrown around in the last couple of years, which is all the time. And we've been told, oh, Trump is just a fascist. He he said horrible, terrible, just awful, evil things. He, he said things like that that uh, illegal immigrants and migrants are poisoning the blood of the country. And, and then, of course, we all see photos of what the uh, Muslim migrants in Europe are doing. Um, you know, pissing on pork in the supermarket, uh, burning entire blocks of cities down. Poor Paris. Um, and I hate the city of Paris. So for me to say poor Paris, that's that's quite something. Not to mention all of the extreme chaos that has been plaguing some of the Nordic countries. Uh, and throughout all of this nonsense, they expect that, I guess, tomorrow CNN wakes up and says, you know, we finally got Trump. If we call him fascist just one more time. And that's totally going to like change everyone's opinion on him. The catch is, it, it, it's kind of not. I, I mean, at this point, it's, it's all baked into the cake. You either like Trump or you hate Trump in the general presidential. And according to the polls, and, and believe me, we'll, we'll get to the polls here in just a minute or two. According to the polls, Trump hasn't really been hurt by all of these shenanigans. In fact, a lot of individuals in this country see Biden at best and incompetent. And at worst they see him as a corrupt traitor. Whereas Trump, you get kind of a different scope. The best that people see in Trump is a guy that's willing to flip off the establishment in Washington, D.C. They see a guy that basically provided several years of economic stability and really would have, quite honestly, powerhouse through the 2024, or excuse me, would have powerhouse through the 2020 election had it not been for COVID. And when you look at those things and you, and you start to carry those ideas into the general election, that puts Biden at a neutral to a negative, and that puts Trump at a positive to a negative. And those are two very, very different things. So when you look at trying the same tried and true tactics from 2020, which is where everyone was depressed and in this funk because of COVID, and you had this you know huge, unspeakable, again, grumpy mess that was at hand... Again, I'm I'm just not seeing a situation here in which this is suddenly going to start sticking to Trump. And by the way, sending Trump to the Supreme Court over the Colorado election situation is only going to help his case. It, it's only going to strengthen his case. And I say that as someone who at the present time is not planning on voting for Trump for primary. I You bet if he wins the primary, uh, when he wins the primary at this point, most likely I'll be voting for him in the general. But the, the most magical, beautiful catch at this present point in time is that this is going to skyrocket his polls because Trump has been saying for the last couple of years, very overtly, they're after me, they're after you, and I'm in the way, and they're going to stop at nothing to keep me from the White House because they can't beat me in an election. And so what have the Democrats then been doing over the last couple of years? They've been trying to sue him over silly goofiness, and the one legitimate lawsuit they had, which is the Florida classified document scandal, which has been watered down further by situations like Biden's Corvette document garage. The one legal, decent lawsuit they had against him, they watered down with a bunch of garbage. It's basically like a person saying there's vegetables on this pizza, so therefore it's healthy, and then they ingest an entire 16-inch royal feast. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, the diced-up onion they put on there is not covering for the rest of it. 
And now you have the the Trump situation in regards to keeping him off the ballot. Look, the more that comes out about January 6th, the worse it looks for Democrats. And we saw this with Liz Cheney, right? So, so when Speaker Johnson started releasing footage and started kind of getting it all out there, what was going on inside the Capitol, it did not make the January 6th committee look better. It made him look worse. It would have been one thing if it would have come out that the footage was actually more violent than we had anticipated, if perhaps the Trump supporters were way worse than we had anticipated. Instead, there were a lot of ethical questions thrown about journalists that were on site, that were thrown about Capitol Police officers posing for photo shoots, and a lot of other really shady junk, and not to mention the entire mess regarding Ray Epps and a lot of other weird stuff that's still kind of left unanswered at this point, at least on the official docket. So... The more we learn about that situation, the worse it looks for Democrats. So basing that as the methodology to use to remove Trump from the, again, not the general electoral ballot at this point, removing him from the presidential primary ballot and saying, well, he's just unfit to serve in the United States anymore. Oh, he's, he's just unfit anywhere, anywhere, shape and time. Okay. Okay, try it. Try it. Again, I am someone who is currently not planning on voting for Trump in the primary. He is not my first choice. I am happy to vote for anyone except Nikki Haley who wins the the GOP nomination. And or or Chris Christie, you know, because yeah, principles and also I really don't like high cholesterol. But when you consider those things and you, you put them aside, Donald Trump is already doing really well in the Rust Belt states, and those swing states are what he needs to pull. He has to convince Michigan and Wisconsin that he's worth voting for. And if you think that there are like some UAW auto workers that are that are on that were on the picket line this fall that are watching this entire thing go on in Colorado, you think anyone in Michigan or Wisconsin has ever looked at Colorado with any semblance of respect? You are drunk off your can. Which, you know, a lot of people in Wisconsin are drunk off your can. Kind of a state heritage. But there is not a situation that I have yet found in which anyone that is in the Rust Belt of the United States that is not some kind of goofy professor type that is going to take this seriously. The only people who are taking this seriously are Joy Behar, the MSNBC crew, and Pete Buttigieg's lover. That's it. So, I, again, please continue. Right now, the Democrats are doing their damnedest, to quote the great John Wayne, to make sure that he wins re-elect, to make sure that Trump wins the election. All they have to do, all they have to do is let Trump take his foot, shove it into his mouth, and rotate. And they won't do it. They have to try thing after thing after thing after thing because they are terrified that he actually has the momentum to win in 2024. He, he probably didn't. This was looking like it was going to be a case where Trump was going to get really close and then fall flat on his face. But right now, all Trump has to do is kind of shut his mouth and point. And right now, he's pointing to the migrants on the border. He's pointing to the economy from Joe Biden, the same economy, by the way, that Joe is still openly bragging about, which is just the wildest move in history. And then Trump points at his own indictments and now being removed off of the Colorado ballot because the Supreme Court justices can't read the 14th Amendment. I read the 14th Amendment in like third grade. What were y'all doing? Citing the Insurrection Act because Trump said, hey, you guys should protest because I think this is, you know, got some hinky jinkiness going on. And by the way, I, I disagree with that decision, but citing the Insurrection Act, this is like my banning from Twitter policy. I don't think stupid and evil people should be banned from Twitter. I want them to be on Twitter because I want people to hear all of the stupid things that they are saying nonstop. That's what I want. I, I want people who are dumb to be given the microphone so that everyone else can hear how stupid they are and then I sound smart in comparison. 
That is that is what I like to see. The Democrats should basically just want Trump to be given the mic so that he can put his foot in his mouth, which is what Trump does from time to time. But they're not doing it. The, the Democrats cannot stand letting Republicans go on a losing streak. And let me tell you, we, we go on some losing streaks. Did you not watch the entire kerfluffle with Speaker McCarthy? And I know it ended up pretty decent with Speaker Johnson, but that was a couple of months that were kind of bad. All Democrats had to do was stand there and point. The U.S. political system right now is just stand and point. And then this is where we are as a country. And so literally, if you're out there and you're running for office, or you're considering running for office or you're active in a primary, just tell people to shut up and point because that is far more effective. This is going to get Trump far more credibility in the average voter's eyes than anything else up until this point. And it's 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 pretty stinking impressive. Uh, speaking of st- pretty stinking impressive, I'd like to throw John Fetterman my heartfelt congratulations. Um, I don't know what's gotten into John Fetterman. I don't know if if something in the stroke knocked his brain like into the right way. And I'm I'm not joking about that at all. There's a lot of research to show that personality changes do occur after an individual experiences a stroke. John Fetterman's like been coming out with some real bangers lately. And and by real bangers, I mean Fetterman's like coming out and saying that foreign nations shouldn't be owning US farmland and corporations. He's been saying that China shouldn't be buying up farmland, that, that Japanese companies shouldn't be buying U.S. steel. And I don't mean like U.S. produced steel. I mean the company U.S. steel. He's been saying things like, you know, Hamas protesters aren't protesters, that they're like rioters and terrorists. I, I have no idea. It, it's it's truly incredible. Here, here's a little something uh, that, that Fetterman has kind of pulled out of his, his pocket. It's, it's pretty crazy. I'm standing on the roof of my home right here in Braddock, Pennsylvania right across the street from the Edgar Thompson plant. And I just have to say it's absolutely outrageous that they have sold themselves to a foreign nation and a company. Can't do that. Steel is always about security as well too. And I am committed to doing anything I can do from using my platform or my position in order to block this. And I'm going to fight for the steel workers and their union way of life here as well too. And we cannot ever allow them to be screwed over or left behind. So I found that amazing. He, of course, he throws, throws in like the Democrat tagline at the end about the union, and it's more of a labor union push, not like a teacher union push, which, again, is the kind of stuff that like places in western Pennsylvania and throughout all of Appalachia are all about. So I, I, I got to wonder here, why are we seeing this? Di- or I guess I should pose a question. I, I have an idea. The reason we're seeing this large divide in the Democrat Party right now between kind of the older labor kind of Democrats and the younger progressives is because, again, the progressives cannot stop crapping themselves in public. Every time Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, AOC, Andre Carson opens their mouth, everyone rolls their eyes. And Fetterman's kind of realized that I get a lot of mileage out of not saying crazy, stupid stuff and just kind of supporting very basic populist policies. Because here's the real secret. Populist policies are are popular because they are from the population. That is populism, support of ad populi. And if Fetterman basically comes out and says things that Americans on the left and right over the age of 30 are thinking, he does pretty well in the election. Joe Manchin found this out, right? So Joe Manchin, and people are asking if, you know, Fetterman's going to become the next Joe Manchin. I don't think so. But I, I do think that Fetterman has realized, like Joe Manchin has, that the way the Democrat Party is going, the direction that they are driving in is untenable. And and it's untenable despite Republicans' best efforts to lose elections because the progressives in the Democrat Party are patently insane. Transgendering your children, drag queens in schools, 
and redistribution and reparations, not popular with anyone with over a sixth grade education. So maybe running your campaign that way, especially when the only reason you won your Pennsylvania senatorial race is because Trump endorsed idiot whack-a-mole celebrity doodle Dr. Oz. Yeah, to win the next election, you're probably going to need something a little bit more than the sympathy stroke card. So, you know, and and by the way, the proof is in the pudding here. So from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Fetterman's betrayal of progressives is why young people are turning off politics. You, you say that like it's a bad thing. I got to tell you, I, I am absolutely thrilled to see the idea that people under the age of 25 are being turned off of politics. Because after the Greta Thunbergs of the world have been protesting in highways and yelling in CVSs, painting Christmas trees orange, because they're angry that not everyone wants pure, total socialist and communist revolution so they can get reparations while they're one-fourth black, sort of. I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. And and no one else is either. So So young people being turned off of politics because, you know... You have Fetterman walking by and basically doing everything but flipping off Hamas protesters as he goes to uh, basically heap scorn on Asian companies buying U.S. stock and farmland. Yeah, I'm here for it. That's why to this day, until he does something else embarrassing due to Democrat policy, that's why I will begin referring to him as Senator Betterman uh, because I think, at least at the moment, that I can be thankful for that. Up next, we're going to be talking a little bit about Yemen and the Houthis. Because uh, apparently all you need is a U.S. Navy and Air Force (laughs) song and you can brag about the training jet uh, that you are threatening with. You are listening to the Tony Kinnick cast on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Uh, I got to tell you, the the whole Yemen and the Houthis and and the rebels and uh, Hezbollah And all of this has gotten people rather shaken. And I've heard a lot of conversations over the last couple of days, really over the last couple of weeks, um, kind of questioning a few things. Number one, um, what are the Houthis up to? You know, what are they trying to do? Why are they provoking the United States Navy? Number two, does the U.S. have a dog in the fight with uh, Hezbollah and with the Houthis, Um, which are two different questions? And by the way, neither of those two things have anything to do with Hamas and even less than you would think to do with Israel. Uh, so that's that's question number two. Question number three is if the Houthis and the the rebels in, in Hezbollah, uh, these Iranian-funded terror groups, if they do start throwing things at the U.S. enough to get involved, what's going to happen? And there are uh, there's a lot of real points to be made here, and then there's a lot of fantasy by a lot of kind of armchair quarterbacks who... Uh, basically think that Twitter is a good enough form of research to kind of make an informed decision about foreign policy. Because right now, the kind of general consensus that I have seen on Twitter, again, the dumpster fire of dumpster fires, is that there's either completely isolationist foreign policy um, in which we kind of build a large wall around the entire continental United States and then we all just pretend the rest of the world's not happening. 
Um, and then the other side that's commonly referred to is kind of the George Bushy and Nikki Haley neocon alternative, where the U.S. is the police of the world and we waste millions of dollars, or excuse me, trillions of dollars and millions of lives forever in endless war. Those are not the only two foreign policies out there. And it's important that we distinguish that there are not only two foreign policy solutions out there because, uh, well, you, you can read. Uh, and by you can read, I mean the United States history is filled with situations and examples where neither of those two things are the foreign policy uh, that the U.S. has traditionally gone with. Isolationism does not mean that you don't protect your shipping lanes. And uh, imperialism does not mean that you spend money in endless wars ad nauseum. So let's hit both of those. First of all, isolationism. Isolationism being the idea that the United States isn't really entangled in any foreign territories or matters. Uh, At the most isolationist points in U.S. history, meaning right back at the beginning, and then right before World War, I'd say really right before um, the Spanish-American War, the United States still enforced its trade policies, and then in the second situation, the Monroe Doctrine, meaning that the very first action that the United States Navy was created to do was devastate Muslim pirates that would not leave us alone. And by the way, there's a fun reason for that. Uh, Europe paid off the Barbary states for a good long time because they're cowards. And they thought, well, we don't want to anger, you know, the Ottomans and, and the Barbarates. So what we'll do is we'll just pay them big fat sums of money so that they won't raid British ships or French ships um, or ships of the uh, various Italian city-states at the time, etc. ad nauseum. And the United States was kind of broke. And also we kind of like really didn't like the idea of paying off someone who was going to um, raid ships in the United States. And also if we had any women on those ships, like civilian transport ships, uh, rape those women as uh, Muslim pirates have for centuries. In fact, for close to a millennia at this point. And so Thomas Jefferson ordered that we don't do any of those shenanigans. That was obviously in the early 1800s. Even before that, though, the United States has always had a very middle finger policy towards Muslim pirates. And that is because if you want to keep a trade lane open, people don't just naturally leave trade lanes open. There's this like stupid idea in the West that everyone just wants the same fun things as you, and they're just going to leave trade lanes open, and it's going to be great. And like, hey, come on, doesn't everyone just want open trade? No, that's that's not how that works at all. I'm sorry. Um, it may work with like your neighbors down the street who have the same morals and values that you do. Uh, but no, it is absolutely silly uh, to think that if we just left the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden alone, those would continue to flow with 10% of the world's trade goods. And so again, by the way, as I've been very clear about my foreign policy, if you're going to solve a problem, you need to address it directly. And this is where the whole Nikki Haley neocon thing falls short. George Bushian and Nikki Haley neoconism is the established idea of going to fight a war, but like not really fighting a war. Like the latter days, kind of in, in Vietnam sort of a situation. Just kind of pull back. You don't want to be too mean. You don't want to like, so you kind of like do the Obama thing where you tell them when we're going to strike. And it's all about nation building and friendship because after all, we all want the same thing. What we really need is basketball in Damascus and jobs. And that, that's not how that works. If you're going to fight a war, you need to fight the war like you have a department of war, not a department of defense. And it's a department of war attitude, which is why we won the Gulf War, for example. 
which Yemen really ought to remember. So the reason there are two reasons that the United States did not win in Iraq and Afghanistan. Reason number one is because the United States was too worried about pussyfooting around the enemy and all big friendly hugs and and guys, the Shia Muslims are just like us. They, they just kind of think a little differently. And it turns out the thinking differently is, of course, you know, raping your women and children and forcing them to submit. But, you know, other than that, uh, and that kind of failed over time and it got a lot of soldiers pointlessly killed because we had no military objectives. So a lot of our basically mid-range officers all the way down through lowest enlisted suffered for it. So what happens when you have brass that are, and really the Department of Defense, that's more concerned with friendship and equity circles than they are with actually fighting and winning a war. And by the way, when I mean fighting and winning a war, I mean the Old Testament style of winning a war. If you're going to win it, win it. And the United States, when it fought in nations up through World War II, did not stop to ask the local friendly, happy groups uh, how the U.S. soldiers could contribute to their community relations. Uh, no. And, and so neoconism is not imperialism because imperialism takes the land and makes it your own. Again, the, the goal in Saudi Arabia in the Gulf War was not simply to kind of like, you know, make Kuwait like a, a really good, happy, fun land and place. And we can just, we can just get Saddam Hussein to kind of reason. No. Uh, the goal was to obliterate him into the soil. And uh, we did in four days. And now we have the Yemen Houthis uh, who are firing on shipping lanes uh, near the Gulf of Adan and the Red Sea. And they are saying officially, well, we're just trying to stop supplies from going to Israel, although that's 10% of the world's shipping. And if you factor in the land uh, organizational trade routes that are in that area that the Houthis have also targeted, that's an additional 10 to 20% of the world's trade. So 30%-ish of the world's trade is in that specific area. And that's not just hummus, okay? That's a lot more in trade goods. It's not just oil either that the United States needs in buying and selling. And so the Houthis have been firing rockets. So the U.S. is finally, again, you have finally poked the bulldog enough. And so the U.S. Navy is dispatching a task force, we reported on this yesterday, over to handle the situation. Because what the United States Navy would really, really, really like is for Hezbollah in Lebanon or the Houthis in Yemen to push us too far. Because again, as I will remind you, the reason that the song goes from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli is because the United States is more than happy to invade Mexico and obliterate Muslim pirates in the Middle East. It's what they do. It's the, and, and I'm saying that as a, as, a, as a former little army cadet dude who was taught to say beat Navy every time he sat down. If there's one thing the Navy is good at, it is absolutely sinking to the sea any kind of Muslim pirate gooberness. And so, in stupid fashion, because the Middle East believes that the United States is now exceptionally weak, because the Middle Eastern pirates of old and new believe that the U.S. will not actually fire back, uh, the uh, Houthis in Yemen released a little bit of a video. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to play the audio because it's, it's just Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins, um, which is great because uh, that's a song uh, in a movie promoting the U.S. Navy and Air Force. Uh, but if you're watching the live stream, you can see uh, that, well, that's the, the the Yemen Air Force. They don't even have the decal on the, the plane actually applied correctly. They're blurring out the pilot's face uh, because um, Israel or the United States or one of our allied nations will absolutely end his entire life. And what he is flying, you may not notice, that is a T-38 from Northrop. Um, the T stands for training, by the way. 
Uh, it's also known as the F-5. Um, that's a training jet fighter. That's a training jet fighter. The F-22 would fly circles, loop-de-loops, and all other kind of aerial harassment around that pitiful little plane. They show one plane in this entire video to celebrate that they're Yemen Houthis. And they're like basically telling the United States to bring it on. The dude does like a a like a ten degree bank at one point, and then that's about it. That's what you're bringing to bear against the pilots of the U.S. Navy and Air Force. I tell you what, not all of our uh, not all of our pilots are are equity diversity hires yet, guys. Uh, please, by by all means, and and we'll be answering a question in the, at the mail time in the next segment. Um, as to whether the United States will actually prosecute the Yemen Houthis. And I think you might be surprised um, at the answer. Here's a little something that someone made showing the United States response. Threats to our nations, they don't sleep. They're watching our every move. Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, ISIS, Al-Qaeda. They may be watching this right now. Our military should not be mistaken for a cable news gabfest show. We don't care what you look like. We don't care who you voted for, who you worship, what you worship, who you love. It doesn't matter if your dad left you millions when he died or if he knew who your father was. We have been honed into a machine of lethal moving parts that you would be wise to avoid if you know what's good for you. We will not be intimidated. We will not back down. We've seen war. We don't want war. But if you want war with the United States of America, there's one thing I can promise you, so help me God. Someone else will raise your sons and daughters. So uh, I, while, while the music is, is clearly uh, doing several different kinds of hallucinogens, um, the, the, the message rings true. No, the United States is not done. Um, no, the military... Um, well, yes, there are some um, officers riding swivel chair parade um, that are more worried about equity. I will remind you that there are still more than enough men and machines in the United States military to make the boat goobers that are knockoffs of the Somalia pirates um, to, to have a very, very bad day. So so by all means, uh, I look forward to the footage of the United States absolutely obliterating. And by the way, again, that is the point of having a military. The point of having a military is not just to sit at home and defend. Anyone who thinks that is stupid. And and I, I don't even mean that as an insult. They are ignorant. They are foolish. They have no idea how the world works. Oh, we're just going to sit here and defend. We don't need to be getting involved in world problems. Uh, the way that you stay out of world problems is promising other countries and factions that if they so much as touch a hair on the head of a citizen of the United States, you will send them into the Stone Age. That is the only proper response because violence is the only force people understand. Period. Any way, any method, any factional difference that we have brought forth in human history has only been backed up and espoused with military force. Nothing else matters. The U.S. citizen cannot be protected abroad because you voted to protect them here at home abroad. And so therefore, I, I, I don't know, I just, I really look forward to watching as some stupid Yemen rocket absolutely spells doom for whatever goofball group is sitting on the coast of that southern dump of the Arabian Peninsula. So, by all means, bring it on. 
and uh, just 10 out of 10 business from Yemen. Up next, we're going to get to mail time, and uh, we've got a couple of questions that we've gathered over the last week that I think are kind of worth answering. You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. It's a real pleasure to join you on this fine Tuesday evening here in December. Uh, figured that with all of the stuff that's been going on lately, I've gotten a few questions. Allison's gotten a few questions in the WIBC mailbag. Got a question or two uh, over on Twitter at the Tonus. And then a question uh, from, uh, I believe it was to my Daily Signal email. So we'll try to get to some of those right here, right now. If you have any additional questions, you can throw those over in the YouTube live stream, uh, youtube.com slash WIBC. Uh, or you can also forward those to me via Twitter or, you know, you can tape them onto a rock and and throw it at, uh, I better be careful with how I finish the sentence, tape it to a rock and throw it into your nearest limestone quarry. There you go. That'll get the police sidetracked for a second. So first up tonight is from Brian, just kind of tying into the last segment. Do you think that Biden will be too timid to strike the Houthis or Hezbollah? My answer is an unequivocal no, and here's why. Whoever is controlling Biden understands that the president is currently in a very unpopular position. Believe it or not, the Democrats are kind of aware that things aren't going very well for them right now. And one of the only things that they have with the majority of the Democrat voter base, and by that I mean the vast majority of the Democrat voter base who is over the age of 30, is very, very pro-Israel. And given that Republicans and Democrats in this country, again, basically everyone over the age of like their 20s is pro-Israel and is anti-Muslim terror groups, Biden will have very little problem striking a few targets in, again, Yemen is not exactly a place where the, the Houthi rebels can just hide. Um, this is not mountainous Afghanistan. Uh, the Southern Arabian Peninsula is fully within the uh, targeting functions, both artillery and missile, of the U.S. Navy. And I think that Biden will use that to effect if he needs to. Um, the U.S. Navy has acted, again, pretty succinctly so far. And while there are a few goober, goober admirals, I think that a lot of the, the flag staff is pretty decent. And I think that that'll probably kind of cinch that. Uh, from Amy, are there any good public schools in Indiana? Uh, so um, my answer to this is uh, unequivocally yes. There are a lot of really great public schools in the state. The issue is not that are public schools all universally bad. The issue is that are public schools suited for your kid? So th there's kind of a weird idea in the country that persisted for a long time that you needed to send your kids to public school so they could socialize. Otherwise, they'd grow up weird. And they would always point to that like one homeschooler who like breathed through his teeth and kind of slobbered onto his chin until he was 17. Um, and there are cases in which you have weird kids in private school. I was in a public school recently in which I saw a group of kids, uh, half of whom had tails. So there are weird kids in every learning environment. Uh, but I would say that a lot of public schools in this country no longer have the ability to provide 
the right kind of education for your kid. Now, the problem is there are a lot of really phenomenal teachers in a lot of mediocre public schools. That's that's the rough part. Uh, take, well, let's see, a school that's been in the news a lot lately, Hamilton Southeastern in, in uh, Indianapolis, uh, or Fisher, excuse me. If you start talking about the donut cities um, as though they're a part of Indianapolis, people inside that area get really annoyed. So Hamilton Southeastern in Hamilton County, is a district that has some problems, is a district that had some problems, and it has some real stinker garbage teachers, has a couple stinky administrators, and it has some really excellent teachers. Um, and not just people who I align with that uh, ideologically. I used to play in a director's jazz orchestra with a lot of music teachers from around the state, the vast majority of whom are raging liberals and are still very, very good teachers. They keep their politics out of the classroom. They focus on tried and true scientific methods of education. In order to determine what public schools are good for your kid, you're going to have to do your own research. Don't let an advocacy group tell you. You will never hear me tell you, you need to send your kids to this school. Because I believe that a parent should do that research and should come away with their own conclusions. I think that's far better than me telling you which public schools I think are good. I have my soft spots for certain schools. You know, I grew up, I went to Shenandoah. I love a lot of the teachers and administrators there. I taught at Knightstown. I taught at Lawrence North. Um, I obviously administrated an IPS. There are schools you shouldn't send your kids. Indianapolis Public Schools is one of them. Get them out of there. That is an absolute hellhole. Other than that, though, eh, a lot of public schools in Indiana are good. It just depends on what you want for your kid's education. Are they the best option? That's for you to decide. Uh, Next, I assume this one is from Kim, but there were a lot of numbers and letters in it. Uh, So we're just going to go with Kim. Uh, why are the GOP candidates for Indiana governor so bad? And then this was, this other question is similar, but it was sent to my email. Why does the Indiana gubernatorial primary stink? Uh, it it stinks because the front runner is not really campaigning to be governor. Um, Mike Braun is a Senator who was endorsed by Trump and basically feels that he can just float in. So he doesn't really have a vision for Indiana. Mike Braun is running for governor just to run for governor. And that's what I've heard. I mean, I've talked to members on his team. They haven't actually told me any place that Braun wants to take the state. And there are directions to take the state. Um, There are several directions. You know, we can kind of follow more of the infrastructure hands-off approach that Holcomb put forward. Uh, You can take it in kind of a libertarian licensed association methodology. Uh, You can take it in kind of a DeSantis Uh, or Reynolds or Huckabee Sanders kind of approach. There are a lot of different ways to take the state of Indiana um, because we are starting to lag behind the rest of the country in certain areas of policy, but Braun's not doing that. Braun has like no vision um, at all. And and by the way, if any of his team want to actually like send me something he wants to do with the state, by all means, I'm all ears. Uh, The current Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, um, I mean, she's running. She, she's not very popular. Um, I can't actually tell you. And I've watched a lot of like local politics stuff regarding the candidates. I can't tell you anything she stands for either. Brad Chambers just texts people. I've received so many texts from Brad Chamber, Chambers' campaign. I know that he was a Chamber of Commerce guy. That's it. Uh, the only two candidates that I really like are Eric Doden and Curtis Hill. I think they're both really good candidates. They just don't have any steam behind them. Um, and that's not necessarily their fault. It's a hard election to win in when you have the sitting uh, a sitting senator running for governor that has Trump's wind at his back sails. Um, you know, Doden's very small town focused uh, and Curtis Hill's very culturally focused. Both of those are really excellent things. Uh, the, the problem is that Indiana doesn't really care about that right now because we don't have to. 
Indiana is kind of in a mediocre swamp. There's not really a problem here to fix, at least according to a lot of Hoosiers. So that's why the election is stinky. There's not really any effort to be given. And so by the leading candidate, there's not a lot of uh, effort being made. This is from a guy named Nice Pick. Why do I hate <laughs> why why do I hate the radio PSAs so much? So the radio PSAs that play on commercials, why do I despise them? Um, because they're poorly written. Uh, I hate anything that's poorly written. I hate movies and TV and and books that are poorly written that there's not really a good plot to that, that doesn't really make sense. Um, and like that drunk driving PSA that, that plays on the station quite often, where the lady's like, "Oh no." He's buzzed. He's starting the woot woots. And then you hear this like weird husband in the background go woot woot. And then it's like, you know, don't drive buzzed or drunk. That's not good writing. You can do a lot with PSAs in writing to actually develop a, a really niche point as to why, you know, you should be cautious when you're on the road. Be alert for buzzed and drunk drivers. Call, call the police when you see drivers that are swerving all over lanes and stuff. That's a far more important PSA than, hey, I'm buzzed. Maybe I shouldn't drive. Yeah, we've been hearing that since the D.A.R.E. officer came to our elementary school. It's just not doing anything for anybody. And it's like the Indiana Youth Institute. They're like, hey, did you know kids can be stressed? Yeah, no kidding. Who Who is the absolute Cro-Magnon moron out there who needed you to tell them that kids can feel stressed? It's that kind of stuff. Like, if you're going to waste money on, like, putting a PSA on the radio, and these PSAs are on stations all over the state. This isn't just WIBC. Like, put some effort behind it. I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe this is why you shouldn't hire freshman marketing majors from Ball State. Uh, next, from uh, from um, John. You may be wrong about inflatable Christmas decorations. I object to that. But maybe you're okay on music. What's the go-to, or who, excuse me, who's the go-to Christmas cover artist? Um, Christmas cover artist. So like when Michael Buble does his album, like of all of the, the Christmas songs, uh, Straight No Chaser. It's an Indiana University acapella group. We'll be talking about them in the next couple of days as we get closer to Christmas. Seen several of their uh, things in concert. Uh, I've talked to them quite a bit over the years. They're a really phenomenal group and their song Indiana Christmas is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, let's see. Uh, over from the YouTube live stream. Um, how many cures for cancer and other diseases does the government have locked up okay so the conspiracy question i actually really like the conspiracy question how much is the government actually hiding from us i'm going to tell you a secret and it's about ufos and it's about cures for cancer and all other kinds of conspiracy uh, kind of conspiracies the government's hiding um the government is staffed by morons the government has always been staffed by morons. Um, you know how you're just kind of making it up as you go along? Guess what? That doesn't change when you get into a position of power. They could not keep Watergate a secret for two weeks. They couldn't. It, it took 14 men, all of whom it would have enormously benefited to just shut their mouths and walk away. All they had to do was not talk about it ever again. It took less than, than two weeks for Watergate to break. Every major scandal in United States history regarding things that the U.S. has done shoddily have been exposed to the public basically within about a month of their doing so. The U.S. government is very bad at keeping things private. Uh, no, the U.S. government is not keeping a cure to cancer. Cancer is not actually a pathogen, not a disease. Therefore, there is no cure for cancer. It's not a virus that, that you can kill. Um, it is when your cellular instructions get jarbled and start goofing off. That's cancer. It's not a disease that you can take a pill for. Um, that's just 
not how uh, that's not how that works as for the whole ufo thing i strongly disagree while i respect tucker carlson in a lot of ways the whole ufo thing uh no um and, and here's one really easy way to tell number one again if you think that ufos are only landing in the united states where like 99 percent of all sightings have ever occurred that's silly uh number two there is no evidence that is not a shaky camera that shows that ufos have ever been around in the united states or abroad also, why are they always crash landing in Nevada? Um, that's kind of silly. It's very likely that, again, it's just test flights from the U.S. Air Force and Navy. Like, oh, that sounds so boring. That's what they want you to think. Um, no, it, it's pretty well documented that the, the United States Navy and Air Force, you know, the same ones that the conspiracy groups accuse Lockheed Martin and Raytheon of running all the time, uh, they do experiments. Um, there's some really crazy cool stuff that you can do regarding where we're heading with aerospace technology, that's us. And the reason that I point this out is that if you think that China and Russia and the other superpowers of the world would not be the first to admit to the world that the United States has been hiding things, you're silly. The Soviet Union had spies embedded extremely deeply in the United States intelligence services. That's, by the way, that's the way you know we went to the moon. Because the Soviet Union didn't call bogus. The Soviet Union immediately congratulated the United States on landing on the moon because the Soviet Union at that time was had just failed a moon landing. Like they just goofed it up while the United States was getting ready to land. So if the Soviet Union or China in this present day and age has not called the U.S. out on the conspiracy theory, I'm sorry, I'm just not buying it. Because China and Russia were calling the United States out when they were censoring social media, and they were calling the United States out when they were doing other numbers of silly goobernus. Because guess what? Your allies and your rivals call you out because it's free political capital for them. Everyone's making things up as they go and just trying to get a handle on things. And the whole secret mastermind motive really falls apart whenever you attach the stupid secretary to it who still ends up seeing the classified documents. Just doesn't Just doesn't quite function that way. So... All of those things aside, I believe that uh, you know that kind of should cover the, the the most of the most for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Tony Kinnacast. Uh, always a pleasure to be with you. We will see you tomorrow evening. You have been listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC.